whether to say hello or howdy. I'm doing fantastically. Um, I've got your book in front of me, and um, my new motto is to never give up. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's right, mate. You can never give up. And uh, yeah, yeah, I've been close a couple of times, but if I'd have given up, then I wouldn't have been able to read this book. Do I call you Graham Tutty or Buster? Buster, my friends call me Buster, family calls me Buster, my mates call me Buster, so uh, only when I'm in trouble I get called Graham. Oh, really. I'm the same, I'm the same. Jo- only my mother calls me Jonathan. Uh, uh, so I'm definitely yeah. Johnny, and I'm delighted to welcome Buster Tut, Graham Tut, to the football library uh, where we have rows and rows of books. And as you can uh, imagine, because you may well know that some of these players have written biographies, um, I have yeah. a very high threshold for football books, and they have to tell a story. And the story that you tell, along with Matt Eastley in this book, Never Give Up, the Graham Buster Tut story, uh, which came out, is it weeks ago? It's just come out? Yeah, it's just come out, really, a couple of weeks ago. How's it being received? Fantastic. The Charlton fans, uh, especially in South East London area, they really picked up on it, and there's a lot of interest in South Africa, and, of course, this country where I've been... For 35, no, 40 years I've been here now. Fair, and I'm pleased that you maintain your broccoli accent. Bloody right. That yeah. is, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know broccoli because the poet Kate Tempest, now Kay Tempest, is from there, and she often uses broccoli uh, as an influence on her work, stuff like Brand New Ancients. I don't know if you know yeah. Kate Tempest. No, I don't. That's unusual for someone from broccoli. Well, <laughs> precisely, because being right. from broccoli... I know there is a theatre called The Jack in Broccoli. I don't know if it was there when you were younger. It was the roughest, toughest pub. We go in and play pool in there, and you'd always see a fight. It was entertainment. It was, um, it was before cage fighting, really. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, so you think that MMA is just kind of legalised baiting? <laughs> That's right. That's Maybe, right. Yeah. Thank you. This Go football on. library is at your. The football, yes, the football library is something I thought of last year. Why not create like a dream palace whereby critics and writers and programs and fanzines and videos? So I imagine uh, that the match of the day that went out in February 1976 is yeah. in there. I mean, we can take it out if you don't want it to be there, but this is a, an uh, historical uh, document. Right, right. Yes, there, there is video of it floating around somewhere. Oof. Wow. Uh, 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 but I think the, the one in colour has been taken out by the BBC and it was, it was changed to black and white, so it must have been bad. Does it feel like 45 years ago? No, it don't. It don't uh, at all, Johnny. It feels, mm. it feels just a few years back, really. The time has gone so fast and really the adventure started after Charlton. Which is why I would love to talk about football as little as possible in the second half. Uh, But the first half we must, because this book, Never Give Up, and you haven't, uh, and you tell your story. In America, and I'm just looking at the cover, and I hope this doesn't come out astonishingly, there is a photo of you on a stretcher on that day in Roker Park. Uh, And there's also a close-up kind of pen pick of you that you'd get on a cigarette card. America yeah. is the land of perfect teeth. <laughs> yeah, right. I know 
know dentists will do very well uh, in England to stay there because they, I think all the good dentists came over here, Johnny. Uh, yes, it's been, yeah, they'll have gone off to La La Land. But um, yeah. the teeth here, those are some gnashes. Um, are, yeah. the, are these gnashes the same as they were then uh, yeah, 50 uh, years ago? Change a little. Uh, there are a pair of action shots inside uh, and outside if you turn over the flap. And there's one yeah. with you with some gloves on, although they are quite lightweight. Um, yeah. God, what would it be like if you were playing with modern technology with the swervy ball and the heavy gloves? I've been talking about that lately. Uh, the ball looks like a volleyball in comparison with what we played with. It looks very light. You know, goalkeepers, they just take one swing and it goes 75 yards. Mm-hmm. Where we were the old mitre multiplex. It was a solid ball. It was a cannonball when you dropped it at 60 yards, 70 yards. The big news over here, I don't know if you've seen this, but Mitre have lost the contract for Football League balls. It's gone elsewhere. So again, the game has gone and we know it's gone. Uh, I'm delighted to tick off Charlton. And this is the Charlton that we want. This is not Roland de Chatelet, Catherine Mayrie. This is not crap Charlton. Charlton are going places. They've got this rock star CEO... I hope you can send a copy of this book to him um, because he would love to read this story. I'll tell you what, Johnny, I will do that. That's a, that's a great move. Please, yeah. You... And now you're involved with Charlton. What do you do with Charlton? I'm not, no, I'm not involved in Charlton at all. Uh, my experience <laughs> with Charlton is that I went to see Watford play Charlton with Auntie Susie and Uncle Clive and we got some corporate. And I remember very little about um, the game. I'd been to see... Uh, the game in 2012 where Watford did right. really well despite Forestieri being sent off he got two bookings right. the second one was for tripping over his own boot and he got booked for diving <laughs> I think the kid Grant uh, scored a couple of goals uh, in 2013 2014 and right. I hope you know where this is going having a corporate dinner and a very avuncular chap was doing the entertainment right and that was the first time, because I'm very young, that I had heard of George Graham's former assistant and uh-huh. National Treasure and also the author of his book. Have you read Theo Foley's book? Yeah, well, I've read bits and pieces of it. I haven't got the book, uh, but I'd like to uh, get that because Theo, I don't know if you read, it was my mentor. Mm-hmm. He was a fantastic person. If it wasn't for Theo... Uh, he, he brought the best out of me, let's put it that way. Every great footballer's memoir has this mentor figure. Uh, Ian Wright has Mr Pigeon from the uh, from the school. Uh, whereas well, you have... Mr Pigeon was my soccer coach as well. Same guy? Uh, same guy. Of course, because Ian's from, yeah, he's from that part of the world. Yes, in, in, in fact, where Ian was raised, the apartment, my best friend was raised in the same apartment. And he was a great soccer player, Peter Essinger, super kid, and uh, still playing, I believe. <laughs> oh wow, wow! Yeah, and if you did, you hear Ian Wright's Desert Island Discs appearance or see the documentary? Yes, I did. Yeah, I thought it was fabulous. You should have, you should have put them in touch. He's been waiting years to, to get back yeah. in contact with him. Uh, well, I, I, you know, I had no idea. Until mm. I saw that video, but I, I, it was such a coincidence. Mr. Pigden, uh, he, he flew uh, uh, Spitfires as well in World War Two, but we didn't know that as kids. He was our soccer master, football master, and our cricket coach. 
and uh, he would be forever in his tweed jacket, um, matching tweed tie, and, uh, matching tweed hat or flat cap. Oh, wow. And he was a character, and he would always say to me, never mind, Tuddy, you'll get the next one if I got beaten. He was so encouraging. That's wonderful. Um, yeah. And if Ian has written his book, and he's he's become one of the most beloved figures in English uh-huh. football. I don't know if he... Um, I'm sure you could yeah. get YouTube clips and on the BBC website, but my dad lives on Long Island, so he watches the NBC coverage on Saturdays. Uh-huh. That's where my son lives, Long Island, in um, New York. Oh, yeah. yes. Uh, New York State. Um, right, right. Dad used to live in Brooklyn. Theo Foley, um, who is kind of, um, until bad form, got him the sack after a loss to Watford. Was it at the Vic or was it um, at the Valley? At the Valley, yeah. Um, who was playing for Watford? This would be 75. Yeah, it was uh, Danny J- uh, Jennings, I think, was playing up front. Andy Rankin, Andy was Rankin. The and, and in fact, uh, I made my debut, funny enough, uh, the second time round. I had seven games uh, to start off with when I was just 17. And then uh, I went on loan to uh, Workington, of all places, got an education there, uh, and came back ready to roll for, for the first team. But we first came and played away then was at Watford, and we beat them 2-0. And uh, Elton John congratulated us in the dressing rooms uh, afterwards. This was great, yeah. Yeah. Um, And now Workington don't exist and Watford are having a £150 million turnover because we've been bought by these Italians. And, of course, it would be good for American fans to see Watford on the TV again. Um, Yeah. Elton is still the number one fan. Um, Right. But yeah, I always remember Theo being so generous and so nice at that corporate do. You say he brought the sunshine back to the Valley. Yep. And as a Charlton fan, you would have been the recipient of it, both professionally and personally, because you knew lots of Charlton fans. Yeah, he was so dedicated to us young lads. He was bringing us through the ranks, Johnny, and there was about five of us. Give us a little bit, a few games and rest us a couple of it was a few days. The tempo was right, and he was preparing for the following season because we ended up that season uh, in the middle of the table. It was a shame, really. I think Theo could have done wonderful things if given another season. Yes, yeah, so the Cavalier sacking approach wasn't just modern day. Uh, your debut, you conceded three goals on your debut, but you do say that they were three very good goals that you couldn't stop. But leading up to that point... It hadn't yeah. taken very long. Obviously, you wanted to become a goalkeeper at a very young age. Um, right. And you obtained some useful advice from a European Cup winner. This is an anecdote that I think will go... It, it couldn't happen nowadays for several reasons, but this is your Alex Stepney anecdote. Yes, uh, Alex was my hero. Uh, he uh, played for our local... Where, where we lived in Broccoli, it was just as close to Millwall as it was to Charlton and Crystal Palace. So we had the best of both worlds. Dad would take me to one of three games every weekend. And, uh, yeah, they were they were good days. And the goalkeepers, of course, I would study because I was really into the keepers. It was I heard that they were training down at Deptford Park and it had been raining a couple of days. They couldn't use their regular field, uh, practice field, or, the, um, or down at the den. 
So I took a guess that they would be uh, uh, at Deptford Park, and sure enough, they were there. And I remember just being so shy at first, hiding behind a tree, watching my, uh, as a 10-year-old, watching uh, my, my hero, Alex, and slowly moving from closer to where they were practising, hopping from tree to tree. And I was drawn, it was like a magnet. I just had to talk to him. And he told you, never give up? Oh, well, I, I remember pulling on his shirt. He'd just, been, just finished a shooting practice of about 30 minutes. And he had a little bit of blood coming from his nose. And he was beaten up and he had worked his rear off. I'd watched it and, and saw it firsthand how hard he worked. And I said to him, Mr. Stepney, uh, I, I would like, to, I want to be a professional. I want to be like you. And then that's when he said, you will, son. You just practice every day and you'll make the grade. Never give up. And, uh, and I, that took that to heart. And uh, I, I've said that to just about every kid I've ever coached uh, and, and passed the word. So Alex was a tremendous... The, the beauty of it was playing against him here 10 years later when he was playing for Dallas and I was playing for Atlanta Chiefs. Uh, we played against him and we beat his team and I was almost embarrassed about it. Mm. And now I have an image of you both kind of taking turns at yelling, go on then, is that all you've got? Because that's what Alex did. <laughs> so you've just, yeah. just got this kind of echo like across the Grand Canyon from two... Sides of the can. And Alex Stepney, although he won the European Cup, best known for breaking his jaw, uh, right. dislocated. Yeah, dislocated, yeah. And also, um, didn't he get scored against uh, with Pat Jennings? Yes. Pat Jennings as well. Yeah. And I, I had that same experience. Jim Brown uh, scored against me here in the States. My first game playing for Atlanta at the stadium. I had a goal scored against me from a goalkeeper. I don't know if you read that in the book. Talk about never give up. The next That was our first home game. So you imagine coming out for the second game. You had to be brave. The fans were given a stick. But fortunately, uh, turned things around and proved myself. I've been following the fortunes of Atlanta United because one of our kids from Watford, Dion Pereira, went over there. Uh, he was yeah. released. He's been without a club. For, I think he's is he at Orient now or Luton? He's at Luton now. Yeah, this, this new MLS with David Beckham involved in Miami and Nashville having a team and you've got the... At the moment, there's... Someone was telling me this. There's one division of about 40 teams and it's going it's to be split. Look, yeah, it's, it's looking that way. Uh, all of a sudden, it's got momentum uh, in Texas as well. They've just got a team, another team. The game has just exploded the last five years especially when Atlanta came on the scene uh, just last year or year before they was average. Well, during the playoffs, it was 70,000 fans. They were drawing. And their value uh, was number one in the MLS wow. as, as regards a franchise. But there's uh, a lot of competition in that city. Um, maybe they play... I suppose it helps that the Braves don't play between October and March. So Atlanta yeah, United take uh, the winter season. Atlanta, it's a different animal totally to baseball, basketball, ice hockey. Um, we, we're outdrawing the Braves, the Falcons and the Hawks. So even you know, soccer-wise, we're the number one sport in Atlanta now. 
And of course, America has a Champions League winner in Christian Pulisic, who is from Hershey, Pennsylvania. So he's more of an East Coast kid. But that will inspire Texan kids. Do you see many Pulisic Chelsea shirts knocking around? Oh, unbelievable. Good. You go to the mall nowadays, you see the Chelsea's and the Arsenal's and the West Ham. Uh, you've seen a couple of Charlton shirts. And, ah, uh, you're doing your job. And you never saw that in the in the local malls. That didn't happen. Uh, it's, it's, so it's, it's wonderful to see. It's the game has just grown leaps and bounds. I think the American public now know what offside is. It took thirty years to understand a generation to understand it, but they've got it now. But the real stars, and I'm a big fan of women's football. Um, Pino, of course, is doing great things. Megan Rapino. But yeah. Alex Morgan, uh, Hope Solo, on the pitch, not off the pitch. Um, yeah. And all the, all the rest because of the 99ers 20 years ago. So you must have been there. Uh, yeah. I, I doubt you would have been in, uh, not Pasadena. Was it Pasadena, the World Cup final? I watched the uh, uh, Olympics final. That was, what, 94? 96, uh, yeah. 96. Of course. Uh, um, that was um, in Nigeria. Atlanta. Uh, 85,000 people at the University of Georgia where the Bulldogs play. And then I realised soccer has totally, totally taken off because there was 85,000 people cheering on the girls' team, the women's team. So if the men's team can get half as successful, they'll they'll get tremendous support. Well, remember when they won 1-1? It was USA wins 1-1 against England. Well, who were you supporting that day? This was the famous game when Rob Green misjudged a Clint Dempsey shot. Who were you supporting, USA or England? Um, I wanted to see the best team win. Good. That, that was. I, I just love watching great games, and uh, you know, very rarely I'm rooting for one team. Usually, it's the underdog. I like that. Yeah, just good games. That's what I like looking at, Johnny. Oh, and, and now I want to pivot to South Africa, but this paragraph's already too long, so we'll go, we'll go to Broccoli. My grandma grew up in, and Uncle Clive both grew up in Chislehurst. Um, oh, that's where my, my aunt, my aunt Pat's from Chislehurst, St Mary's, St Mary's Cray, around there. Ah, I will, I'll ask Grandma and Uncle Clive if they know her, but yes, Grandma, uh, they moved to Watford and um, then my grandma moved up to Hull and then back down to Stanmore. But she has great memories of Kent. I have read uh, Jules Holland's book, and Jules talks about playing on the bomb sites in south-east London in Deptford. And when you describe your childhood, you say that the bomb site was your Wembley. It really was. We had, we had no playing fields in our area. The nearest was a, a, we called it the Creme. By the crematorium, there was a little bit of grass we could play there uh, not far from uh, the, the flats, the block of flats. But, yeah, really, Rockley, we played in the street, which was probably safer than playing on the bomb site. Yes, you wouldn't get any gas masks on the street. <laughs> Can you believe that? As, as I was clearing the area for my goal, I found that uh, gas mask, and it was a children's gas mask that put the baby in and pump air from the outside into it. It was quite an amazing find. And you were growing up in the... Well, it's the... not It's the Alan Akebourne days of the 50s and 60s, or the um, 
uh, Albert Finney Saturday night, Sunday morning. Uh, and so you would be able to see your brother Jim being a teddy boy. Or was he, was he a mod or a teddy or a rocker? He was a teddy boy, winkle pickers, white shirt, drain pipe trousers, collar up, Elvis haircut or a Tony Curtis haircut. Ooh. Um, and uh, yeah, and he had a big old console. I remember full console. So he looked more American than he did uh, British, really, in some oh, ways. And then he motored it to South Africa. Um, yeah. And that's partly why you went. This is a very good forward sell. Um, because before, yeah. you've, you've been in America for years, but you had a brief time playing in South Africa. And as you would expect, because you were there in the 1970s, uh, yeah. it was apartheid. State-controlled suppression. Um, yeah. So when when apartheid was healed, when de Klerk and Mandela shook hands and the whole Invictus thing in 94 yeah. with the with the rugby 95 it meant yeah. a real lot to you as someone who'd seen it what yeah. went on when i arrived there it was the first season they went multiracial the year before the season before we had a white league and a black league so we were a part of an experiment because they wanted to get they got kicked out of fifa so south african soccer so they wanted to get back in fifa and they felt that this was one way of doing it, having a multiracial league. We was the first team to sign three black players and one of the first teams to play in Soweto. And it was pioneering stuff. You go into a stadium with 60,000 and uh, it was all black, all, all from Soweto. And the referee somewhat, uh, I would say, under pressure or bribed. Mm. <laughs> You're against 12 people straight away. Uh, and the challenge was, you know, to survive uh, because there were there was riots after games. Yeah, and then of course, when there aren't riots, there's voodoo. I have read uh, Steve Bloomfield wrote a brilliant book called Africa United. I remember reading yeah. it in Edinburgh about when it came out, and I met Steve as well. Uh, and he yeah. talks about the big uh, spiritual element of witch doctors in Africa, all over African football. Uh, and it yeah. seemed to reach South Africa as well. And you describe it brilliantly in the book. <laughs> yeah. Well, Matt Easley, my collaborator on the book, I think that's his favourite part of the book. And it, and it was entertaining. But at the time, could you imagine? No. You know, you're just going to warm up. And we were in a place called Vintuk, West Africa, Nibia, Nambia. I was on way out west, a couple of hours fly over the Kalahari Desert. It was a nightmare trip. We were plain sick all the way there for two and a half hours. And uh, it, it was an experience I'll never forget when a witch doctor came from behind the goal and started dancing around me. And uh, I soon realised that he had a chicken, a dead chicken. Yep. I knew it was dead because the head, head was missing from the uh, chicken. And there was blood dripping on the, on the field. And he didn't like it when I... When I kicked some sand or dirt over the blood, and uh, he shook his finger at me, going, <laughs> "No, no, no, leave that there." You know, it's, that's part. We had the bones through the nose, through the ears, and uh, a skull on top of his head, some sort of animal skull. It, it, it was pretty uh, eye-opening, to say the least. Yeah, I think. Um, never mind English footballers going to Germany; they should try going to Southern Sub-Saharan Africa. <laughs> They'll have some, yeah. have some fun over there. 
yeah, it was a tremendous experience. And really, that was my comeback year because I hadn't played for nine months or so. Uh, well, I was out of the game for a total of 18 months. And it was just by chance that I got a contract offered me uh, when I went out to see my brother in South Africa. And it, it, it tells the story of it's a one in a million shot as regards on the radio. Uh, uh, we were here in a, a soccer match, but it was in Zulu. <laughs> uh, and the uh, guy told us who was playing with the radio, this was in a pub in South Durban. Um, we, we were, there was a beautiful hotel and we were playing snooker. They had one snooker table in the whole place. And uh, there was a barman there. We had our own personal barman while we played snooker. And he was a soccer fan. And he told us about Arcadia Shepherds and that they, they needed a goalkeeper because their goalkeeper had just retired and they hadn't found a replacement, really. So it was just by chance uh, I called, or I heard on the radio that night, uh, Roy Matthews, his name, and he was the assistant coach to Kai Johansson, who was the head coach. And uh, Kai played for Glasgow Rangers. I called the next morning uh, Arcadia and spoke to Roy and he said, come up here straight away and uh, we'll be very interested in you. So I bought, I stopped in Durban on the way and bought some soccer boots and uh, short socks and a goalie shirt and a pair of gloves and off I went. Uh, unfortunately, they offered a two-year contract uh, after having a two-day tryout as such. Again, blind luck and being in the right place at the right time and, of course, never giving up. Uh, never give up the title of Buster, Graham Tut's uh, story, written with Matt Eastley. And I'd like to talk about the process of collaboration. But since you mentioned this goalkeeper who's retired, Trevor Gething, this yeah. is a shocking chapter. I mean, this is purgatory for me. I would keel over. Uh, this yeah. is the Trevor Gething fitness regime. Ready to die, Graham? Where would you like to be buried? <laughs> exactly. Well, what he did with me was absolutely magnificent. The first 12 minutes is usually the last 12 minutes of a goalkeeper's practice, and that being pressure training. He would start off the opposite way, pressure training from the start, and then it would you just work harder from there on. And I felt just as almost as well as, as fit as when I was a child and as a young lad, he got me back to where where I wanted to be. So I, I owe so tremendous amount of gratitude to that man. It was very sad, his story. He could have been a kind of Bruce Grobelaar figure. You say that he had a serious offer to join Spurs, so obviously Bill Nicholson had heard of him uh, yeah. through his contacts, but couldn't leave his mum, who had disabilities. Uh, I yeah. genuinely believe you say he could have been one of the world's greatest ever goalkeepers. That's the kind yeah. of story you, that you've put down in print. And I think it's, it's sensational that we will always have a record, a print record, of this chap, Trevor Gething. And obviously you survived yeah. his sessions. But yes, you wrote the book with Matt Eastley, who is a, a writer of some repute. Works for the BBC. What does he do for the Beeb? He does a lot of their marketing and uh, uh, programming as regards connecting people. Uh, he is an executive as, as such where he connects the right people together 
uh, and uh, makes things happen. You know, he's a go-getter. Uh, he'll see an opportunity for the BBC to have a story and he'll put two people together to make the story. Oof. And uh, and he, he's a very talented lad. He's got terrific vocabulary and he's just a great person. And he got inside my head. He, he, him and his wife uh, did a great job on asking me the right questions. Oh, I should say the forward is by John Motson, who, as is usual with Motty, was there when the incident yeah. happened. And we will get to the incident of Feb twenty one seventy six. Have you read any of Matt's books? Did you read any of the books to convince you that it was the right person to work with? Well, he wrote an article on me about five years ago on my testimonial match because my testimony was somewhat unique. I had a goalkeeper's 11 versus a television, Dennis Waterman's all-star 11. I had to read that twice, by the way, that sentence. I went, hang on, these are all goalkeepers. Oh, it's a goalkeeper's 11. That's very interesting. Who was the best outfield goalkeeper? Uh, Pat Jennings. Ah, uh, very interesting. Uh, and, uh, of course, Bob Wilson played as well, Jimmy Rimmer. Uh, Peter Bonetti, I remember, wrote a lovely letter. He could make it because he was injured. But they were all the uh, London goalkeepers and Crystal Palace's goalkeeper, John Jackson, uh, Brian Hall, Luton goalkeeper. So it, it was a wonderful experience. To, well, it was overwhelming experience to see these fantastic goalkeepers come uh, to my testimonial game. And then Malcolm McDonald played with Derek Howes up front in the main match against Sunderland. It would be unfair if I didn't uh, induct Matthew Eastley's books into the Football Library. I feel that I should have talked to him to tick off Charlton properly because he is the author uh, of the book On This Day, Charlton Athletic On This Day. Um, I imagine that your injury will make it into the book. Yeah, well, Matt was 10 years old when he saw me play our last game when we went from the third division to the second division we were playing Preston North End and we had to win the game and if we tied we could have still gone up if Crystal Palace lose and you know a, a couple of teams yeah. yeah and so it was really important for us to win and, and so it was a great atmosphere and Matt was at that game as a 10 year old with his dad and his grandfather so talk about go full circle. Here we are. He writes a, an article on me five years ago about the testimonial. And when we were chatting, I said to him, I'm thinking about uh, writing my life story. And he said, well, send it to me, uh, of which I did five, six years later. I sent it to him and he, uh, he cleaned it up grammatically and uh, uh, any word over four letters is Matt's word. <laughs> uh, but Matt has written, his catalogue includes several books, uh, from Barry Stobart to Neil Young, from Ronnie Radford to Roger Osborne, and from Bovril to Champagne. These are all books about the FA Cup, uh, which you must have played in. I'm sorry? Did you play in an FA Cup tie? Yes, yeah. I, 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 uh, we played... Um... Wolverhampton Wanderers, uh, and unfortunately we got knocked out in I think it's the fifth round, and also Queen's Park Rangers. Ooh. We played over it there. We drew 1-1 and lost at home 3-0. That might have been the League Cup. Or 
FA Cup. I'm not sure now. Was this the QPR of Stan Bowles? Yeah, Stan Bowles scored the equaliser for them at Loftus Road with like 15 minutes to go. We were winning 1-0 most of the game and we thought we'd nicked it and QPR were top of Division 1 at the time and us Cholton lads were in the middle of the table Division 2. Oh, that would have been the giant killing that would have gone. Was it filmed that time? Um, I don't think so. I've never seen film of it. But there was a photograph in the in the Sun a newspaper with my hands in a praying motion uh, and looking up to the sky. Uh, and uh, I got in trouble for that because Andy Nelson, the coach, he, he didn't like the photo where we're praying that we get a result. But I think psychologically it must have helped us because, say, we tied 1-1. And then we came back to the Valley, it was 30-odd thousand, and they scored two, three goals right at the end of the game, last 10 minutes. And we was holding our own until then. So we, we were showing tremendous potential of what was going to come down for the next season anyway. We were gelling. 